he got some lampkin grips that were the same as the grips he already had on his clubs. They were just the corded version in white of the same grip that he had in black without cord already on his clubs. So I said, sure, no problem. And I took the grips off, put the new ones on, and then all of a sudden I kind of waggled the head down there on a couple of the clubs and I said, well, these feel kind of light. And I started checking the swing weights and they were, they were significantly lighter than with the old grips. Um, so I took a couple of the, the leftover grips and I weighed them and the white grip with cord was like six or seven grams heavier than the black grip of the same model. This is the Fitting Room Podcast. Here's your host, Nate Adelman. Welcome to another episode of the Fitting Room Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Adelman, broadcasting from a makeshift home studio here in my house, actually in, in the closet, surrounded by clothes. So we have nice acoustics in here. And joining me today on the phone from his home office is fitting room regular Garrett Pond. Garrett, how's it going? Hey, Nate. Uh, glad to be with you here uh, remotely, getting used to our new normal um, to talk uh, another uh, episode uh, about tinkering with you. You know, the a lot of golf courses are closed around the country, um, so please, uh, we encourage you to abide by the local rules in place to hopefully get us all through this situation we're in. But there's no rules against spending time in your garage this month. And that's why Garrett and I thought it was the perfect time to revisit uh, tinkering. Uh, tinkering uh, as, a, as a topic here that we talk a lot about on The Fitting Room. And if you're new to The Fitting Room podcast, I encourage you to go back, rewind the clock. I think it was episodes like 19, 20, 21 Garrett, it was your first time joining us on The Fitting Room, and we did a three-part series on intro to tinkering, intermediate tinkering, and advanced topics in tinkering. So those episodes are a couple years old, but still really good information, still very, very relevant today. And I thought today, Garrett, uh, that you know tinkering is something that you can do in, in, the, in the downtime, in the wintertime, in, in a... Uh, quarantine situation. Um, so I thought it would be a good topic to revisit as well right now. Yeah, um, definitely. And I think uh, I also do want to give a shout out to the Cali community still asking tinkering questions uh, this week and a special shout out to StumpNav who just this morning had asked for more episodes on tinkering. Little did he know we were already planning this wonderful episode. So, um, Garrett, what I want to do is this episode is going to be fun. We are going to talk about tinkering gone wrong. So I've said this before on the show, but I believe that every good tinkerer, or I guess you don't become a good tinkerer until you've ruined a few golf clubs. And it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow because golf clubs are not, not inexpensive. You know, shafts are expensive. Heads are expensive. Even something as simple as you mess up and you have to do a regrip, you know that's ten bucks at least. Um, so uh, tinkering can be a, a co- uh, an expensive hobby, and that's why I think if we share some of our own experiences where tinkering has gone wrong, 
it can help all the listeners out there maybe avoid making those same mistakes themselves. Yeah, that's a good call. I think uh, we've been afforded the luxury of uh, working at a, a club manufacturer to, uh, during a lot of our tinkering. Uh, but like you said, um, a lot of the things that were covered in the tinkering 101, 102, um, what to do, those were kind of learned through trial and error. And a lot of uh, the, the things that uh, we now know and try and provide details on to the listeners uh, were learned by making mistakes in the first place. So um, hopefully our mistakes um, in the past can help listeners not make the same one in the future. I totally agree. So let's get into that. We've got uh, four different ones on this episode, and uh, depending on your your guys' feedback, maybe we'll do a part two because we've got plenty to talk about here. So let's start with, uh, I would say, a really common one that I actually hear a lot that I made this mistake myself. This was back in 2012. I had just gotten the brand new Callaway Razor Fit driver. I didn't even work at Callaway at the time, but it was, you know, the the fresh new stuff, first adjustable driver, and I ordered the driver in the standard length of 45 and a half. I found myself struggling with uh, hitting hitting it consistently, and one of my my friends said, "Hey, you know, the drivers now are so long, why don't you cut it a little bit and see if that helps you out?" So it was a 45 and a half inch driver. I cut it to 45, regripped it, and was like, wow, this is wonderful. I feel like I'm hitting it more in the center of the face. I'm hitting it longer even. Like, this is great. If a half inch was good, imagine how good a full inch would be if I cut it even shorter so I can swing even harder at it. So I cut the grip off, cut it to 44 and a half, gripped it up, and all of a sudden, I could not hit that driver for the life of me. So you lost your ability to, to hit it solid at the same time as, as likely swinging it a little slower? Exactly. So I cut it a full inch, and the only consideration that I made, the only thing I took into account was I want it shorter so I can swing it harder and uh, hopefully find the center of the face more, but I ignored a lot of other variables. Yeah, that logic stands to reason because as um, we see often with better players, they find that shorter than standard length helps them make more center face contact. But um, the the main thing that you, you needed to factor in was the, the head mass or the, the weight of the club head um, and the resulting change in swing weight as you go shorter on the club without, without the head weight changing. So, so your swing weight had to get massively light, right? Yeah, so I, I think when I ended up weighing it, uh, you know, I didn't have at regular access to a swing weight scale. By the time I weighed it, I think it was at like a C, C6 or C7. And that was even with me getting the the that club you could order a weight kit for it. So it was like um, just kind of guessing which combination of weights might work. Um, but it wasn't even a, a thought of mine in, in the beginning. So I guess, Garrett, what I would ask is if I could rewind the clock and do this situation again, and I did want to, you know, I did want to hit my driver more consistently, what approach should I have taken instead? Um, 
Well, I, I liked your your initial approach where you're uh, shortening the club. You found some benefit there. The very first thing as a as a trial is uh, that I would do, um, trying to hit it even straighter and swing harder at is just choke up a little bit more and, and see if you actually feel like you're hitting it harder, farther, under as much control. Um, you probably would get the same sort of sensation just choking up of the head feeling super light. And that might have been giving you a red flag like, hey, if I cut this thing shorter, this thing's going to feel weird to me uh, or feel real light. And then you would have realized, you know, the swing weight's going to get super light. Um, and then you could maybe possibly save it um getting that weight kit adding some lead tape um but it's possible that just shortening the the shaft further is uh more of the culprit of why you didn't hit it good compared to the swing weight but it could have been just the swing weight as well yeah i think that there's a happy medium of getting it short enough to control it and too short to lose lose club head speed you know, 40. Yeah, when I do when I do fittings all the time, um, players that I never really uh, recommend it, um, or not very often, I should say. But sometimes players will ask about it. You know, we go to 45 inches. That's usually kind of as short as you go uh, for someone that's going shorter for more control. But sometimes they'll say, "What about even shorter?" Um, just as you've you know brought up and uh, as the, in the topic here. Um, and we'll try it and usually 44 and a half or 44, whatever they want to try that ends up being, um, just shorter distance. They don't end up hitting it straighter than, than they do at 45. They just end up hitting it shorter, uh, overall. Right. So we usually stop right at 45 for, for better players anyway. So the, the casualty on the, that one, Garrett, this, the, uh, was not just one shaft, but I did it with two shafts. And yeah. it was a uh, Fubuki, a Fubuki shaft, and it was a Diamana, I believe it was the black one that had the Hawaiian names. I can't remember what that was called. Was it the Kylie? The, the Kylie was the blue one. The Ahina was Ahina. the black one. So that's which right. That, that's actually uh, interesting that you brought those, those two shafts up because the balance point of those shafts are known to be kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum. The Ahina had a really um, heavy tip section, so it has a lower, uh, heavier swing weight. And the Fabuki, uh, at least, um, which Fabuki were you using? I believe the, the it, J? I think it was the K. Okay, the K might not have been as much, but the Fabuki shaft has a really high balance point. So right. when we're doing fittings or, or in club building anyway, if you're trying to use a shaft that's, maybe uh, a better option for different lengths. If you're going really short on the shaft, the Ahina, um, you retain more swing weight. If you're going longer on the shaft, the Fubuki that's counterbalanced kind of keeps your swing weight closer to normal as well. Mm. Um, so interesting that those are the two so, shafts you had. But those were, those were two really nice shafts that all of a sudden became too short to use. So that was... Uh... That one hurt the wallet a little bit, that, that mistake there, which seemed innocent enough. I'm just taking off a half inch, but uh, that's ever since, you know, we don't cut length without uh, checking swing weight. Yep, yep, and it's it's real easy to simulate a shorter club choking up 
you know, unless you're shortening it a ton. Right. Um, and uh, that you can kind of get a sense for if you're going to like it or not before you uh, you cut it off entirely. All right. So lesson learned there. Um, when it comes to cutting length, always think twice because it affects a lot more than just the length. Uh, we say that a lot on the show, but we can't reiterate that one enough. Um, all right, moving on. I think another topic that will be a popular one this month is regripping. Um, so, Garrett, talk to me uh, about your experience with regrips. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty easy to kind of assume or even feel the difference if the if you have two different grips, like a midsize versus a standard size. The midsize feels heavier. You know, if you're just holding the grip by itself, um, but you often don't necessarily think about two grips that are the same model um, being any different. So I had an example. Uh, one of the uh, former club fitters at Callaway, Ross Stewart, asked me to regrip his clubs for him, and he brought the grips. He got some Lampkin grips that were the same as the grips he already had on his clubs. They were just the corded version in white of the same grip that he had in black without cord already on his clubs. So I said, sure, no problem. And I took the grips off, put the new ones on. And then all of a sudden I kind of waggled the head down there on a couple of the clubs. And I said, well, these feel kind of light. And I started checking the swing weights and they were, they were significantly lighter than with the old grips. Um, so I took a couple of the, the leftover grips and I weighed them. And the white grip with cord was like six or seven grams heavier than the black grip of the same model. So that was the first time I had experienced the, 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 the fact that it was a cord, the fact that it was white versus black could actually make the grip a, diff, a totally different weight. So what, so what percentage of that do you think the difference in the weight was because of the cord versus the paint? Um, Probably the paint more than anything. Um, in fact, um, did the did the exact same thing on a putter grip um, at one point, and um, the same grip in white was significantly heavier than the same grip in in black, and um, it was an Odyssey branded grip um, rather than than like a uh, you know a Golf Pride brand putter grip or anything like that. So I asked our putter engineer, Osti, um, you know, why are they different weights? Did he order them, you know, specific weight? And he says, no, it's just to get the, the, you know, the rubber that white, they have to add so much, I don't know what they put in it. I'll just use paint uh, as the term, if it is paint. They have to put so much of that in there to turn it white that the grip's heavier by the time it's it's a white grip versus a black grip. Wow. So, so do you have a chart that has every color and its relative weight of the paint? No, I don't. I, I might. I should make one after this. Uh, now <laughs> that you mentioned that, um, the main thing that I noticed, and I took a bunch of different grips that you know have have white as an option versus black as an option, same grip model, and the the white ones, for the most part, are heavier. They're not the same percentage heavier than their, than the black grip, but just about every grip that comes in white is a little bit heavier than the same thing that comes in black. So, um, so, so how did you fix uh, the set of clubs you were building, which the swing weights, the grips were too heavy, which makes the swing weight too light. Uh, how did you go about fixing that? 
So we left the grips on because uh, Ross wanted to try them like that, and we added lead tape to the head to get the swing weight back up. Okay. Um, so lead tape is something that every tinkerer should have a, a roll or two handy of. Um, and the, uh, the beauty of that is if, uh, if you decide to go back to the lighter black grip, you can just pull the tape off and you, ha you don't have to scrap a full set of clubs or you don't have to scrap a full set of grips necessarily right away. Yeah, if you're uh, one of those players that thinks lead tape makes the club not look as like pristine, um, then you'd want to, you know, go through another set of grips and put lighter grips back on. Right. Uh, but some players actually like lead tape on their clubs, just as sort of a uh, like a uh, an additional like customization um, that they've made to their clubs that makes right. them feel like they're they're even better for them now. Right. So exactly. kind of a, a golf that gets into like the psyche of golfers. Exactly. Um, cool. So lesson learned there on uh, regripping, making sure you're checking your grip weights before you put them on the clubs, making sure they match with your old grips, or if they don't match, that you have a plan for getting back to the correct swing weight if, if that is a, a goal of yours. Or you can yeah. use grips as a way to get to a desired swing weight if totally. your, your clubs are too light or too heavy for your liking. Yeah, oftentimes um, clubs uh, are going to have too heavy of a swing weight for someone that's really tall. So guys that are playing half inch over or an inch over. Um, and if they mention, you know, something to the effect of, you know, I don't want the head to feel this heavy. Um, we try and come up with some options that make the grip heavier. So um, usually those players are also have pretty large hands if they're, you know, playing an inch over. So they don't mind a midsize grip. So that helps get the swing weight right. Um, and then it, not necessarily tinkering like you're going to change it but in the fitting environment if you're going that route you can try and find a shaft that helps keep the swing weight lighter too right so. or just make sure they're getting white grips instead of black grips exactly yeah <laughs> white big oversized extra uh, layers of tape under the grip right um okay um good stuff on grips uh another area garrett that i thought was ripe for tinkering i think it's probably the most tinkerable club in the bag and that's the putter so we couldn't do an episode like this without talking about at least ruining one putter <laughs> so i've certainly tinkered with my putters over the years so this story garrett comes i, I believe this was uh early in my tinkering days i had a beautiful putter that i had used for quite a while and as you know, over the last decade or, or two, uh, putter head weights have, have been climbing. You know, a, a, a 360 gram putter now is average. You know, 355, yeah. 360 is right about normal. Um, but when I got this putter, it was a 35 inch putter and it was 330 grams. Yeah. So uh, that was probably normal about 15, 20 years ago. But for today's standards, that's pretty light. And so I felt, um, you know, this this putter's a little bit light. I've I've see, I, but I really love the putter still. I've seen other putters uh, that feel nice to me that are heavier. So why don't I go ahead and try to make this putter a little heavier? So 
the first thing I did was add lead tape. Um, and anyone that's added lead tape to a club, you know that for to add a substantial amount of weight, you have to use a ton of lead tape. It's not just like one strip will add 15 grams, right? One strip will add two grams, three grams. Uh, so, you know, I put, you know, a layer or two of te lead tape on the bottom. Okay, a little bit better. I put a little bit of lead tape in the cavity of the putter. Okay, a little better. That adds half a gram. But it was still coming in, you know, three, three, 338, 340. It wasn't up to, you know, 350, 360 from a headweight standpoint. So, so what was your main goal to get the the head to feel as heavy as possible, or or feel heavier, or were you kind of wanting the the total weight of the putter to feel heavier? I wanted the whole setup just to feel like I could swing it slower um, and still have control over it. Uh, so, gotcha. Yeah. So that would just be adding uh, a little weight everywhere. Um, so. I did a little, you know, as, as all tinkers do, you go online and you research, you know, adding, adding weight to putter. You go to the forums, you go deep, deep, deep into uh, golf WRX and, you know, all the different sites on tinkering and all that. And I see, Oh, this is intriguing. Why don't I add weight inside the shaft? I hadn't thought of that. So I cut the shaft, I cut the grip off. And I bought uh, like some fine sand, like for a uh, like a fine playground sander or like a arts and craft sand that is like a fine grit to it. And um, so I poured the sand into the shaft. I took a little cork. I plugged the butt end of the shaft with the cork. I threw the grip on over it, and it was. Like, wow, wonderful. Look, feel how heavy this is. Feel how <laughs> stable it is. I go, I think it's the, I, I think I've made the best putter even better. So I head out to the next round of golf that I play. And it's, uh, first off, my golf bag felt substantially heavier just having that putter in the bag. Yeah, you had a bench press bar in your bag all of a sudden. It, exactly. And then, the, for the first round or two, you know, you're still in the honeymoon phase with any new golf club where you're convinced it's the greatest thing ever. And no problem. I'm, I'm really thrilled with this. And then about three or four rounds in, I was like, you know, my putting statistics, it's not like I eliminated all three putts or anything. And I realized, you know, I may have made a mistake here. This putter is incredibly heavy. But the weight is not in a place that's helping me control the club. The weight is in the middle of the shaft. The weight is not in the head or in the grip, which as we've learned now with the invention of Stroke Lab, having weight at the... Yeah, you had the opposite of the Stroke Lab there. It was the anti-Stroke Lab um, where it didn't help me with a consistency standpoint. You know, having Stroke Lab, you have weight under your hands and you have weight in the head and the carbon fiber in the middle keeps the weight out of the middle. I basically had done the exact opposite. So this one was, um, it, luckily it was reversible. I could pull the cork out and dump the sand out and, you know, clean out the inside of that putter shaft. But it was, uh, it, that was a tinkering project gone wrong. Good intention, bad execution, bad result. Yeah. Um, 
I think if you were going to make a change to that, if someone else is kind of thinking of doing the same thing, they don't want to use lead tape or they want more weight than lead tape has available on the bottom of a club, but they want the head to feel heavier and, and not, you know, sort of mess up the balance of the club. Um, what I like using is tungsten powder instead of, uh, instead of sand. And tungsten is significantly heavier, so you can get a, a decent amount of weight um, down into the to the shaft, and you can concentrate it next to the head. Mm. Um, so you can kind of create the, the right feel uh, without messing up the balance of the putter. Um, and then to keep it in there uh, down at the bottom of the shaft, you, you can use a cork just like you used there. That's a good. little skinny cork. So using a heavier material that can... You know, maybe you're only adding an inch of material to the bottom of the shaft rather than filling the whole shaft up. Yep. Uh, or another way to do it, and this is, uh, I guess, a, a, an advanced tinkerer's method uh, where they have the ability to disassemble and reassemble a putter. You can you can get um, pull the putter apart, pull the shaft out, and then put a tip plug up at the bottom of the shaft and then um, glue the shaft back into the putter head. I've done that on, on putters before. And, and um, you can get tip plugs that are, you know, 10, 10 grams or so uh, that'll fit into a putter shaft. And 10, 10 grams usually will start making the putter feel significantly yeah. different. And then I would even add there's a PhD level tinkering where if you have a proper setup, you can put that putter head on a drill press. You can drill out the steel and you can put tungsten plugs in into the sole of the putter, which is very, you have to have the right equipment. You've got to be willing. Yeah, that's like a metal metal shop um, level equipment, but you're right, that is, that's that's the ultimate way to do it. You see that on a lot of tour players, putters, um, that are essentially trying to do what you're talking about. And working with In tungsten is very difficult because it's so dense and so hard that you have to have the right machinery to be able to cut the tungsten and be able to grind and smooth the tungsten on the bottom of the putter head. Yeah. Yeah. But less Doesn't than, your putter have that going on? It, it may or may not. Okay. It, uh, uh, I got a little help from the Odyssey tour department, Dennis Wagner, shout out to Dennis. Um, yeah. He would certainly know how to do that. Uh, he helped me out with that. And um, he's created one of the finest putters on the face of this earth. Garrett. Well, it, it, uh, at least you had kind of the, the, the main thing you caution uh, for tinkering uh, in your favor for that, that blender, which is it's, it was reversible. Right. Um, so you can kind of go back to the drawing board with minimal expense. Yep. Uh, it cost me just a grip, you know, pull the grip, dump the sand out, clean it out, put a new grip on. Uh, no problem there. I'm uh, still have that putter in it's, it's, uh, it's in the uh, the sidelines. It's on the sidelines right now in, in a nice display bag, but um, uh, it was a good one for me. Um, all right. Uh, I think we've got time for one more. What do you say, Garrett? Sure. I've got a, a, another example if you'd like me to give one. Yeah, please. So um, this uh, tinkering project was a result of making some clubs for Phil Mickelson. So his PM grind wedge, which we're now on the second version of um, at, at, at retail. This was with the first PM grind, where after using it for a while and trying to kind of keep making it better uh, uh, for Phil, um, 
one of the changes we started doing to it was bending offset into it. And that was uh, for him, um, the reason to do that was to make his flop shots come off directionally straighter rather than kind of glancing off to the side, um, which is kind of what happens when you open the face wide open. So um, I did that to his PM grind a few times and I got used to kind of looking at it and I was thinking, well, I'll make one of those in right-handed and try it myself. Um, and the head that I was using, a lob wedge, was a little heavier than I needed for the the length of the shaft and the swing weight and the grip and everything that I wanted. I wanted to make a D4 and um, it was coming out almost D6. Um, and you, you check that prior to assembly in case you need to make any changes. So what I did was drill the hosel out to get some of the weight out. So to get four grams of weight, which is about what you'd need to remove from the head out of the hosel, you have to drill out a decent amount. So you have to use a bit that's not a whole lot smaller than the outside diameter of the hosel, mm. and you have to go down a decent amount too. So by the time I got the, the head weight right and built the club, got the grip on and everything, I'm ready to start bending the offset in there. So to bend offset into a club, you first have to essentially add as much loft to the club uh, as you possibly can and then to get uh, the loft appropriate with the offset, you use two bending bars and you'll, you'll put one bending bar low on the hosel and the, up, the other bending bar higher and you'll essentially bend the, the shaft uh, back to the appropriate loft that you're after and you end up kind of getting uh, a, a big gooseneck uh, amount of offset into the hosel. So as I was doing that, I essentially tore the hosel a hole into the into the club Yikes. because the wall of the hosel was so thin where I was trying to stretch it. Yikes. So you So that was a So you had you had ground the metal out from inside the the hosel and then when you were bending it you just snapped it right off. Yeah, it didn't quite snap. It um it kind of tears a little bit. So basically once you you notice that you're all of a sudden there's a a hole in your hosel, you, you, you stop before you rip it all the way off. Right. Um, and it probably would have been hittable, um, but I didn't want a hole in my hosel. No. So that one pretty much got scrapped um, without even getting hit. So how um, would you go about uh, faced with the same situation where you need to take weight out, but you still want to be able to bend it? How, how would you do that again? Okay, so um, good question. You got a few a few options. Um, if the head weight starts the same, you could grind um, the sole a little bit, so you're not you know grinding any material away from where you're going to be bending. I could have used a narrower drill bit to where I try and keep the 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 wall of the hosels as thick as possible. I could have ground, you can grind the shape of the, of the wedge a little bit mm -hmm. um, to get some weight off. Using no grinding wheel, um, say you don't have an option to that or you don't want to change the sole, you don't want to change the shape, it's just you're going a different route, you'd, you'd maybe uh, 
back to the grips. You, I'd find a heavier grip. Um, I've put lead tape under a grip before to kind of counterbalance um, a club. I've um, used different shafts. Um, I think we've talked about shaft models on the show before where some are more counterbalanced than others. In wedges, KBS shafts are a little bit more counterbalanced than dynamic gold shafts, for instance. So that might have got me to where I needed to be. Those are kind of all the levers you can pull. Um, I suppose I could have tried it if swing weight was more important than club length. I could have, you know, cut it down a quarter inch and saved a little bit of swing weight there as well. Um, for some, you know, just kind of depends on what what trade-off you're willing to make. Um, and uh, you kind of go from there. Wow. Well, so that one, there was a casualty of a club head. Thankfully, you did not lose any of your own appendages or get injured from that. Um, messing with metal can get can uh, sometimes backfire on you, but I'm glad to see that you, you survived that one. Um, yeah, unscathed there. Bending um, fairway woods and hybrids, that's a little more of a dicey uh, endeavor as far as uh, how much force you need to put on, uh, on bending. And uh, if something breaks there, you, you better hope there's not a sharp object nearby. <laughs> it, it can get dangerous. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, four examples of tinkering gone wrong. Some tinkering fails that have shaped Garrett and I to be the tinkerers that we are today. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you think. Drop us a line on the Callaway community, callawaygolf.com slash community. Ask any tinkering questions that you have. Share any tinkering fails that you have. Uh, depending on the response, maybe Garrett will have to do another episode of this. I'm sure we could easily come up with a, a few more snafus and uh, what we learned from it. Um, I've got if, some. Uh, I've got. We had to. I got plenty more that are a little more embarrassing that uh, maybe we'll have to dig out of the closet for for the listeners if if they enjoy this one. Um, uh, so a couple of reminders here. Um, we our live show that is Monday nights 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Radio is temporarily on hold. We hope to get that fired up uh, very shortly as soon as um, the Sirius XM offices are back up and running. Um, but in the meantime, we'll continue to be publishing the Fitting Room Podcast every Monday for your listening enjoyment. Don't forget also, also on the Callaway Podcast Network, the newly branded Callaway Golf Podcast with Jeff Newbarth, formerly known as The Ship Show. Uh, I think it's a good, good rebranding effort for that podcast. Check that one out. Uh, find out what's the latest happening inside and outside the walls of Callaway Golf Company. And of course, always head over to callawaygolf.com slash custom fitting and you can find tons of more fitting tools and fitting uh, podcasts uh, that you might find enjoyable. Uh, this episode of The Fitting Room was produced by Tyler Sheehan and Trevor Miglarino. We'll be back next week with more Fitting Room Podcasts.